you make time for the things that you love. If you love your wife, you'll make time for her. If you love your family, you'll make time for her. If you love round table, you'll make time for it. Um, and it's as simple as that. And I love what I do. I love round table. And I'm involved in the world's best young man's movement. What, what more could you really want? Welcome to the Roundtable Experience, the one and only Roundtable International Podcast. Welcome all listeners to the first edition of our RTI podcast. It's a new format that we're introducing this year. My name is Sebastian Walter. I'm from Roundtable Germany and current RTI president. I'm Stefan Zipperlein. I'm the PRO of Roundtable International, and it's great to have you all listening to this bold new format for Roundtable uh, International. At least there are hundreds and thousands of podcasts around, and we thought to share our voice and share our stories from the whole wild world of Roundtable and tabling uh, through this format. And we're curious to find out if this is something you want to listen to, and if you have input, if you have stories to share, if you have questions, please let us know. Uh, I have to say this is the first time that we do this. Uh, you know, it's uh, we're going to have 12 episodes once a month. And yeah, we, as you can see with the questions and with the format, we are experimenting a little bit right now. The idea we're going for is basically that on any kind of meeting, there's breakout sessions where you have those those talks at the bar and you get to know great people and you get to know hear about great stories but that's only for those uh, blogs sitting around yeah. and um, we want to for one pick up stories from all over the world and we want to share that with all tablers it's great to have uh, today our guest paul agnew he's president of roundtable britain and ireland He joined Roundtable in Maryport 292 in 2010, and his presidential motto is Roundtable Revival. Hi, guys. Hi, Paul. Welcome to this podcast. Thanks a lot for uh, joining us, and I think we're going to uh, jump right into the question, Stefan. So, Paul, you're not only president of Roundtable Britain and Ireland, you're also a regular tabler at your local table. Would you mind telling us about one or maybe your favorite tradition of the local table? Okay, well, my table is possibly one of the least traditional tables you'll find in the United Kingdom. Um, I'm just going to jump in here. Um, it sounds like it's, it's cut off um, sometimes. Okay. Do you want me to... Can you hear me? I'm not very, very well. far away. Mm. Let's go without. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> And here was me worrying about the content. <laughs> so I guess so, you would like to find out about what some of the traditions in my table are. What? What's that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, now why, why would you think that? Okay, so our local table is not particularly traditional. Um, so, But one of the things we like to do is for our annual charter night dinner, rather than get tarted up in black tie we like to have a fancy dress theme so this year the theme for our charter night dinner was a charity shop challenge where we were each given 15 pounds and we had to go to a charity shop and buy our complete outfit um, for the night so we had all sorts of wonderful sights gentlemen in dresses big hats it was a good look um, but our our non-conformist non-traditionalness has it, it seems to have become our tradition So it's our tradition not to be traditional. 
so your tradition is also next year to be then traditional to be not non-traditional always yeah always um, so our next our next charter dinner is got uh, our chairman south african so our theme is africa so expect a lot of lion king costumes <laughs> that sounds exciting um so outside of of those events um how does a regular table night look at your place Okay, so our table, we're, we're very much focused on the social aspect of Roundtable. Um, many of our nights are activity nights. So, for instance, our last tabling night, we played cricket on the beach. The table night before that, we went paddle boarding in the lakes. Um, so a lot of it is very much activity and this, the social side of things. We meet on a quarterly basis to have a business meeting. And that's where we decide who gets the money that we've collected for charity. Um We also do our charity fundraising events as well. That sounds great. So today's topic is a bit more about the traditional side and the bigger side of things. Yeah. So I would like to, to get Sebastian into, into the talk and let him jump in here. Yes, Paul. It's uh, very interesting that you, you join us as the representative of Roundtable Britain in Ireland. Uh, our founder... Louis Marchese is known as the founder of the Roundtable movement. And it would be interesting to know what was his original motivation to set up Roundtable and what were the original aims and objects? Okay, so if, if you look back at the, at the history of Roundtable, 1927 was quite an integral time for the United Kingdom. We were between two world wars. So you had a society where there was a generation lost in the First World War. So you had young men coming into adulthood and they were trying to find their place in the world. So we had organizations like Rotary, which had become quite popular in the United Kingdom. But the young men who were finding their way to Rotary felt that there was a huge age gap between them and this older generation because there had been a lot of the guys in the middle due to deaths um, during the war. That gap meant that there was a lot of kind of social conflict, I guess where the older guys thought they knew best and weren't listening to the younger guys quite so much. So Louis Marchese, being the, the bright young man that he was, realized that it just wasn't working and that there needed to be an opportunity for young men to have a voice so that they could find their, their own way in civic society and in, in business. Um, and that led him, after hearing the, the speech from the Prince of Wales, um, that young men should get together around a table That gave him the motivation to push forward and start his own group. Um, now, in the early days, it's arguable that Roundtable was originally thought of and conceived to be a feeder club for Rotary. Obviously, over time, we've evolved and become something quite different. Um, but the connection with Rotary was very close in those early days. But it was really an opportunity for young men to have their own voice without being spoken down by, by the older guys. Um, you mentioned that the the motivation and in in a matter of speaking also the name the the gathering around the table um, this idea comes out of out of this one speech. Um, do we know is there are there any documents if Roundtable as a concept existed under another name before that motivation brought it to this point or to this this development? I'm, I'm not aware of any such thing. Um, I know that there was a discord and an unhappiness um, at how things, the status quo, um, but that was the real motivation to, to make it become a reality. 
Awesome. So the original aims and objects, what were those? Yeah, so they're, how they're, are they're they different? The, the, the original aims and objects around table are very similar to what we have today. The only major difference is the addition of international relations. Um, and that came a little bit later on. But the original, they weren't even called aims and objects. They were originally called the objects of round table. But the objects of round table were literally a cut and paste of rotaries. Um, Basically, Louis Marchese looked and thought, well, this is actually a great idea. It's just not working for us in its current expression. Um, so he took a lot of the, the feel from it. He actually considered it a great um, privilege for Rotary to have been, the, I guess, the, the birthing and, and the kind of father of Roundtable. Um, there was no kind of shyness about it back then. Well, I think it's great that the original aims and objects are still kept nowadays and that you added the international aspect because I think a lot of listeners are only part of Roundtable because one association went out there and, you know, set up other associations in other parts of the world. So uh, it's it's good that this is reflected. Uh, what do you think if uh, Louis Marchese looked at ta how tabling is nowadays, what do you think would he say, especially with regards wow. to how how much of his original idea is still present? 19, 19 <laughs> That's a very later. interesting question. Um, it really depends on what Louis Marchese, do we, are we talking about Louis Marchese, the 20 year old, or Louis Marchese when he aged out of round table? Because I tend to find the old guy's opinions change as they get older. Um, and <laughs> Let, Let's uh, look at the young Louis Marchese. <laughs> I believe the young Louis Marchese would probably be quite excited by a lot of what he's seen um, because the, the fellowship side of it was very much part of his motivation and the fact that he believed that if men could come together and make friendships that they could find solutions to the problems that they faced in their personal lives and in the world and that really hasn't changed at all um, so me understanding how things are in Germany makes me a bit more open-minded and a bit warmer to the world. Um, me understanding how things are done in India all of a sudden makes me a warmer, more open-minded person. If I've made personal friendships with people from around the world, I'm far less likely to be critical and, I guess, dogmatic in my beliefs about people and situations. You tend to have a bit more flex and a bit more openness to the world. When you've got that kind of flex and that kind of openness, you tend to find solutions to problems in your own life and in your own society because you're more willing and able to learn. And I think that philosophy and that core precept is very much at the heart of Roundtable within RTBI and globally. So, yeah, I think on that side, he'd be proud as punch. I think he'd be very happy. That, that is great Thanks. to hear. He'd, so he'd probably talk and complain about certain things, but that's just people. <laughs> So from what you heard about Louis Marchese, how would you describe him if you had to choose three words? What kind of three person words. was okay. he? He was certainly a disruptor. He, he was certainly someone who, who liked to disrupt the status quo if he didn't feel it was working. Um, he was happy to look at things from a different angle. And I think with any movement and with any great social change in the world, it takes somebody that's willing to be a disruptor. Somebody that's willing to go out there and just change the status quo. Um, he was also very sociable. Um, all the history records would indicate that he enjoyed a good night out with the boys. Um, so he would have fitted right in with modern day tabling. Um, 
But he was also very tenacious. Um, he's a gentleman who, once he had an idea, he would push and push to make it become a reality. And I think that's a great inspiration to Modern Table. Quite often, the world we live in is quite passive and willing to accept the status quo. His tenacity to, to bring about change was, yeah, for me quite spectacular and something that we can draw some inspiration from even today. If you talk about disruption, I'm curious about today. Your motto for your year at RTBI is revival. Yeah. And I think that revival is often connected with disruption of what came before. Absolutely. Um, so, so how close do you feel to this original movement and motivation of Roundtable in your um, current year? year? Very close. And um, if you look at the history of Roundtable, the history of Roundtable, it's It's almost got teenage angst all over it. Since the day we were in, we were founded, we've always been trying to find out and define who we are, always. If you read the old minutes from, from meetings going back 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, the same conversations keep coming up. Who are we? What are we about? How do we define ourselves? What makes Roundtable different? These are the same conversations we have today that we've always had. Where we ended up in the United Kingdom maybe having a challenge was we became very, very successful. We hit the top. We had over 30,000 members at one point. We were huge. We were a, a, a huge national movement. When you hit that point, it's very easy to rest in your laurels. It's very easy to become stuck in your traditions. It's very easy to think, well, this worked to bring us to 30,000. Therefore, we assume that it will continue to work to keep us there. I don't know about you guys in business, but in my business, the minute I start to think like that, I'm losing out to my competition. All of a sudden, my business is beginning to go backwards. And Roundtable is no different. We've got to constantly be questioning ourselves. We've got to be constantly looking at our relevance in the society that we find ourselves. Because the world's changing constantly. And if we don't continue to adopt, adapt, and improve, then we'll lose our relevance. Um, And I think for a few years, Roundtable lost its way a little bit within the UK. So I want to get back to that spirit of revival, that spirit of disruption, whereby we don't have any sacred cows. Um, there's nothing so holy that we can't touch it. We will question everything. Um, and through questioning everything, we'll actually find a definition for who we are in the world that we live in today. Um, tradition's a big deal in the UK because obviously... There's certain traditions that people are proud of and get a lot of comfort from, but we need to seriously look at how they, yeah, how, how they're expressed. So, for instance, within my table, we've got a three-step process for any tradition. The first step is we need to understand what the original purpose of that tradition was, because traditions usually are born out of purpose. So we need to understand the purpose of what it was. The second question we ask ourselves is, Is it still fulfilling that function? Is that tradition still fulfilling the function that it was originally planned to have? Um, and then the third question is, is that tradition a barrier to new members? Is it putting people off coming? And these are things that every table has to ask themselves. I don't think they're necessarily things that every national association needs to dictate, but I believe that every table needs to ask themselves these questions. I'll give you an example. So for instance, we are round table Britain and Ireland. When our movement came together, the, the Republic of Ireland was still part of the United Kingdom. Um, it was traditional mm -hmm. within our movement to toast the Queen at the end of all of our dinners. 
So let, let, let's look back and, and, and have that methodology. So what was the original purpose? The original purpose was to bring people together around the, the notion of patriotism. Yeah. So these guys had fought in the First World War together. Toasting was something they would have done in the trenches. Therefore, it was something they carried forward with the camaraderie to bring them together to have a sense of brotherhood. That was its original function. The second question was, does it still fulfill that function today? In some parts of the United Kingdom, it does. In Ireland, it doesn't. In some parts of Scotland, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third question, is it a barrier to new membership? Most certainly in Ireland, it would be a barrier to membership. Most certainly in certain parts of Scotland, it would be a barrier to membership. So therefore, we've got to ask ourselves the question, is still applicable for our tables in our time? Some tables have decided it's not. My table have decided that it is. But... Again, we've got to constantly be asking the questions and bringing our traditions into focus and questioning them. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. We talk a lot about tradition. I'm not so much sure that these are traditions as they are habits. A lot of what we do, we do it because we've always done it. That's a habit. That's not a tradition. I very much yeah. like what you said, Paul, when you say that you address those topics openly, because this is also what I see as one of the strengths of our movement, that we are able to question what we have and see if it still fits to nowadays tabling in in society. So uh, another question that we have, do you think, I mean, RTBI, Roundtable Britain Ireland, is now 92 years old. Yeah. Uh, What makes a uni general club still attractive in the current uh, society in in the UK? I think we've actually re-found our purpose. I think we'd actually lost our way a little while. I think um, maybe... In the 80s and 90s, the question of single-sex clubs was brought into question. And I think a lot of people didn't have a a strong answer for it. However, today we live in a society, and particularly in the UK, where we've got mass suicides of young men. Over 4,000 guys aged 18 to 45, which is our demographic, commit suicide every year. They do that because of social, social isolation, mental health challenges. I find that coming together as a group of single sex groups, um, you're more likely to be open and to talk about your challenges and the problems that you face um, rather than when you've got your machismo when the girls are around and you're trying to find yourself a mate. Um, all of a sudden, the, the very basic instincts kick in. But when you're just with a group of guys and you're doing an activity together, you're more likely to open up about the real you and the real challenges you face. And I feel that RTBI have refound our purpose. Um, men have been getting together in single sex groups for millennia. We built pyramids together. We fought wars together. Um, nowadays, we are in a workplace that's mixed. We're in families where everything's mixed. We have very few avenues and opportunities to come together just with the guys um, and build strong male friendships. And men make friendships in different ways to women. Women make friends by talking. Men make friends by shared activity. Roundtable gives a vehicle for men to build deep, meaningful friendships that then move on to help them in, in their mental health and, a, and their general well-being. It, it's a healthy thing for a man to do. Mm-hmm. Especially in the in the light of, of current, I'm, I'm going to say just society and, and zeitgeist, um, how important do you think it is that Ladies Circle as a side-by-side organization exists? It, it, it's something that really needs to be embraced more. Um As we promote Ladies Circle, we promote ourselves. Um, as we tell people of the benefits of Ladies Circle, we're, we're highlighting the benefits of Roundtable. Um, 
it's equally as important for ladies to have that same outlet. Yeah, I think I think so too because I, yeah, I really think that we wouldn't have a a single sex club without the discussion of opening up. Um, if the ladies wouldn't have started their own club in the Absolutely. manner and in the way they did. Absolutely. But what we've got's not exclusive. It's specific, and that's mm -hmm. the difference. We're not we're not trying to keep anybody out. We're trying to be very specific for people that we that we're about. So it's not. It's not about exclusion. It's it's about specific specificity and and being very specific about who we want to reach. Before we move on to maybe some sharing of best practices and some more insight on current work that Roundtable Britain Ireland does, one more question concerning RTBI's history. Yeah, If I'm not look, an expert, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, but if we just you, look you some of the. If we look some of the major milestones of the history of Roundtable Britain Ireland, which were those, if you had to name a few? Well, we're constantly evolving. We, we, we regularly say that Roundtable's got a memory of about three years um, because everything changes. Um, but that's one of our biggest strengths and also one of our biggest weaknesses. But for RTBI, one of the, the, the big things that happened was the fact that we were able to restart after World War II. Um, That was a major milestone for Roundtable. The other thing was um, we had His Royal Highness, the, the, the Duke of Edinburgh, as our patron in 1958. That added a lot of legitimacy to the Roundtable movement and I think was a, a big part to play in the huge growth that we had during the 60s, 70s and early 80s. Ad additional milestones for us is also um, back in the early days when, when Roundtable opened up into Denmark and we moved and we started to spread internationally. These things are, are, are milestones in themselves, but we've got to be very careful not to talk about Roundtable as an organization too much, um, because organizations tend to have milestones. What we are is we're a movement. We're a group of friends who come together around core ideals and beliefs with oh. fellowship and friendship at the very core of it. And it's actually born out of relationship, the, 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 the big changes and the big developments that we've had have come. Um, because without the relationship, none of it would mean anything, um, and we'd just become another NGO like any other. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up that international expansion you you mentioned as one of the the moments of that movement. Mm. Um, Sebastian, as president of Roundtable International, is there a milestone or a special moment um, which would you would describe as being key um, to Roundtable, the Roundtable movement as it is today? Well, I think it's definitely the uh, expansion to continental Europe and from there on the expansion to other Scandinavian countries and Central Europe. So, and that was in the, um, yeah, the, the first movement was even before the, into a new country was before the Second World War. Huh? Uh, yeah. In 1936, I think, with Roundtable Denmark. So, and then from there was a bit of a break. Um, then we had the formation of um, a, a World Council of Service Clubs just after the Second World War. Uh, Roundtable Britain Ireland uh, was part of that. And then it developed into uh, Roundtable International. So, yeah, that is a pretty big uh, moment in Roundtable history. And that then, you know, uh, spread the roundtable movement all over the world, basically. Yeah. And you've also got to remember that 
The roundtable movement at that time had a part to play in the reconciliation of Europe. Um, because the one thing that we hold dear is that we meet men as men, as individuals, not as a stereotype or whatever propaganda we've been taught to believe about them. Um, so, yeah, that, that whole expansion into Europe was pivotal um, in, in the new Europe that we experience. Because Roundtable are the kind of guys that lead the way in forging bridges. So we, we talked a lot about the history and the movement where we came from. So how is Roundtable Britain and Ireland today? You mentioned you had 30,000 uh, tablers in the past. It's still one of the five largest associations worldwide, and it plays an important role in RTI. What was your main motivation to take up the presidency of RTBI? Wow, this that's an interesting one. Um, I, I joined the National Council three, four years ago now. Um, I had no interest in national tabling. I had very little interest in international tabling. Um, however, I loved my local table. And I hated to see the fact that year on year, our numbers were dropping because I believed that round table was as relevant today as it's ever been. And I don't believe for one minute there's less good men in the United Kingdom and Ireland than there were 30 years ago. So therefore, our proposition and the way we present ourselves must be putting people off or the world has changed and has found other things to fill the, the gap that Roundtable used to fill in society. I wasn't 100% sure of what those things were. So therefore, I was a firm believer that Roundtable was still relevant and still important. And I was sat in a council meeting um, one day And it came to me as a bolt of lightning, a moment of inspiration. And I realized that one of our problems in modern day tabling was that we have had great success. We've been successful. But when you've hit the top and you start to drop from the top, um, it's very easy to have a, a culture of failure. And it's very easy to stop believing in yourself and what you're part of. And if you speak to any sports coach around the world, they'll tell you that the difference between a winning team and a losing team is its culture. It's its attitude and how it perceives itself. And I, I stood up in the council meeting and I gave the illustration that we treated round table like an ugly girlfriend. That she was okay for us, but we just didn't want to be seen in public with her. Um, and that was the attitude that was pervading within RTBI at the time, or so I believed. Um, however, I believed that Roundtable was beautiful and that we needed to start having pride in who we were and what we did. And if we could do that, we would transform our fortunes, that we would stop seeing the continual decline of clubs and that we'd start to believe in it again. Um, I believed that I had some answers. Um, I didn't believe I had all the answers, but I believe I had some answers that might be able to help that. Because I believe that healthy organisms grow within a healthy environment. Um, and I believe that the environment that Roundtable was existing in at that time wasn't so healthy. Year on year, we were losing money. Um, we were losing members. So we were trying to throw money at the problem to see if that would fix it. We were trying to market Roundtable as if it was a product to sell. And that wasn't working. Um, 
And I just had this deep-rooted belief that if we just actually believed in who we were and what we did, it would transform. Um, we don't, I don't believe that we need to market Roundtable. I believe we need members who believe in Roundtable enough to invite their friends to join. You mentioned culture, and that, yeah. and that is the difference of a successful or not successful um, organization or team. Yeah. So, since you also are implied in a lot of, or you, it implies a lot of change, what, yeah. what kind of changes are you trying to bring into the the, the culture? A, num that a, a number of things. So, one of the big things we did was we looked at our administration and our finances. Um, we agreed that for an organization of at the time, just under 3,000 members, it was ridiculous that we had an infrastructure that was designed for 20,000. So we re-looked at it and we used modern technology and we streamlined what we did um, and we cut right back to basics. I'm a firm believer that if you're part of an, a movement that's based on volunteerism, if you start to pay professionals to do the job, then all of a sudden your volunteers take a back seat because they think, why should I do that if I'm paying this guy to do it? So there comes a point where professionalism is the worst thing that could possibly happen for a movement like Roundtable. Now that flies in the, the understanding of lots of people because lots of people think obviously the more professional you become, the better it is. But I think by embracing our amateurism, we've actually found a level of success. The fact that we are friends who truly believe in what we're doing so therefore we will give of our spare time to make it happen because it's something we believe in we're not outsourcing our tabling to other people anymore we're doing it ourselves so we've just stripped it right back and we've gone from from year-on-year -year losses in the tens of thousands to running a huge surplus last year and that's only because of the cultural change another cultural change was if you are given a department within roundtable to run and you're given a budget there's the the old-fashioned governmental style of approaching that where I've got this budget, I better spend it. Um, and a budget becomes a target rather than a cap. Um, we've changed the culture there. We spend money if we need to spend money. We don't spend money just because we have it. But all of a sudden by changing the finance and the administration, the guys at grassroots level began to believe in the National Association again, because it had gone from this elitist class who were trying to tell them what to do and trying to govern their table to being these guys are regular tablers who are looking to help build our movement so that we can all benefit. And that cultural shift seems to have made an impact. It's early days, but I believe that a revival of Roundtable in the United Kingdom and Ireland is coming. I believe it's already started. This year, we've already started five tables that had died. We're moving forward. Our year-on-year -year membership growth is double what it was last year. We're making changes. But that's, we can't take all the credit for that as, as a board because all we've done is facilitate and give permission to the membership to do what they should be doing anyway. And I think that that concept of giving permission to tablers to get out there and seize the world and take control is the most empowering thing any movement can do. The minute you trust and believe in your membership, then that's when you start to transform the world. You know, Paul, I just had goosebumps uh, when you said those things. Uh, you know, it makes me also really proud to see that uh, a strong association, you know, looks at what can they do better, how can they uh, adapt to um, what people need nowadays. So uh, has there been any opposition internally with the changes that you wanted to make, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. or was it no, pretty I, much I, I, an understanding I, I, no. that this needed to happen? 
perfectly honest with you that the guys in the past did the best that they could with the information that they had. Like nobody went out of their way to bring huge decline to membership and roundtable. That was never somebody's purpose. Everybody said the same goal and the same purpose to develop and to propagate this movement. It just so happens that some philosophies work better in business and government than they do for volunteer organizations. So, so yet yeah, we've, we've not actually had any. There's been people who've supported us and they've said, look, that's not the way we did it, but I can see why you're doing it. Good luck to you. And maybe this will work because people don't join Roundtable for simply for prestige. They do it because they love what we do and they're passionate about it. So I've actually been astounded by the level of support that we've had. In the early state, in the early stages, there was people thinking, oh, no, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. However, that's beginning to change. People are beginning to believe and people are beginning to understand that this might be the way that we need to approach it right now to make the changes that we need to we need to see. That's great to hear. And it's also great to hear that yeah, you're kind of uh, you and the organization is earning the numbers behind it and going through this culture shift and yeah, really changing something there. So revival seems to be a fit, a good fit. Culture is also a thing that is very important for RTI and you just started into your year, Sebastian. So what's your understanding of how you want to approach, how you want to influence the culture within Roundtable International and within the movement? Well, I think Roundtable means different things to different people, if I may quote a good friend of mine from RTBI. <laughs> and uh, in certain areas, it's more a network of young professionals. You know, if you look more at the Scandinavian countries and other countries, it's more really community service. Uh, if you look at continental Europe, uh, Asia and and some African countries and others is uh, fun and fellowship. I think that is what unites us all. So um, I think it's nice in our movement to have an element of each. So I think this is what makes us very attractive. So yeah. that if you want to contribute uh, on a local level to a community service project, you can do that. But also if you are mad about traveling and going to New Zealand, or Australia, from Europe or to America, to Africa, You know, you find brothers from different mothers. So yeah. for, for me, Roundtable is also like a nice flower bouquet where you have a lot of different flowers and people pick and choose what they feel su suits them uh, the best, Absolutely. suits them most. So, um, for example, I was last year, I was very much involved in um, the establishment of Roundtable Nigeria in Lagos. And when coming there and telling them about Roundtable, I originally came with a more community service approach. But they told me, Sebastian, this is not going to fly here. You know, we need to tackle it from the beginning as an approach of young professionals. They call they it, call it the, the network of trust or the nest of trust. And so they exchange on a, on a pure business level from from the beginning, but now they grow into a community service because they have established their framework and say that, you know, they uh, like to have a different purpose. So that is the culture I would like us to have globally, that we go with an open spirit and, you know, are open also to, to change. In the past, some Scandinavian countries uh, did not do service, you know, but now you see that Uh, for example, Roundtable Denmark adjusted their uh, uh, rules and regulations that they actually can do service. So th that perfectly fits with 
uh, disruptive movement and also, you know, with uh, adopt, adapt and improve. That actually ties in back to the history of Roundtable. In the early days, what you've described in Africa was very much what early Roundtables in the United Kingdom were, were like, um, because the purpose was this, that you had laws coming in to look after the welfare of employees and things like that. And Roundtable was at the vanguard and the very pinnacle of best practices um, for business in the local within the local community um, back then. So that was a big focus of what Roundtable did. A lot of these guys didn't go to university, so they didn't have the education that would teach them that. So they learned from each other and from the best practices. So that's an absolutely great thing. Because um, I'm a firm believer that within Roundtable, when good men come together, good things happen. Um, so although community service and fundraising isn't maybe the focus of what we're about, if good guys come together and there's a need, good guys are going to fulfill that need. It's the very nature of who we are. It's the, the type of men that Roundtable brings out. That's, that's great to hear. It's a, a great ambition. And I'm, I'm really happy that Roundtable still caters to that ambition 92 years later. Yeah, it's exciting. As exciting as that is, it's a big job, I believe. So all of this happens, yeah, not on the side, but um, parallel to the busiest years of, of our lives for many of us. Um, so how do you personally combine your work, your everything around your personal life um, with your work as RTBI president? Well, I'm a firm believer that if you love something, you'll make time for it. I hate to hear people say that I don't have time to do this and I don't have time to do that. What they're actually saying is they don't love it enough to make the effort. And that's fine because not everybody's going to love it the way I love it. I realize I'm a bit weird, but you make time for the things that you love. If you love your wife, you'll make time for her. If you love your family, you'll make time for her. If you love round table, you'll make time for it. Um, and it's as simple as that. And I love what I do. I love round table. I've not watched an awful lot of television this past couple of years. But you know what? I've got a fulfilled life. I've got a wife that loves me. I've got a job that I'm successful at. And I'm involved in the world's best young man's movement. What, what more could you really want? I'm a happy boy. That's an amazing enthusiasm. How do you spread that? How would you, like in an elevator pitch, how would you draw somebody into round table if you have one and uh, a half minutes? Yeah, I'm going to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you see, I don't believe in elevator pitches because an elevator pitch would imply that you've got something to sell. And I don't believe we need to sell round table. I think by being an ambassador in your daily life of what it is to be a man in modern times sells itself. People see you being successful. They see you with a great group of friends. They see you with a healthy, happy, balanced life. And they'll ask you about round table. I believe that that's the, the sweet spot. You shouldn't have to go out there trying to sell it. People should be asking you, how can I get a piece of the action? How, how's it about, about you, Sebastian? How do you spread that motivation for on table? I, I very much like what Paul said, uh, you know, because this is if it's in your DNA and people see what you do and uh, they ask you questions and they you create um, yeah, a, a need or let's say demand for it. It's like a, a, a pull. Uh, me, when often I talk to people and I, when they uh, then ask what roundtable is, I, I tell them that we're an organization of young professionals that is non-confessional, non-political. We are spread all around the world. We do community service. We 
have friends in in places that you normally don't get to visit and um yeah this is what i uh, that is what i usually what i usually use as in a very short way and then to see what do people pick up on you know people yeah. might then ask okay uh, where are you all in, in which countries are you and then i tell them that you know we have five regions we are on all continents um, you know the, the number of members we have that we have a movement of 31000 uh, others say oh you do community service so what do you do so i give them examples on community service projects so you know people pick up on different things so um, I, I always try to keep it extremely short uh, at the beginning and just very very neutral and then see which topic is of interest to them you know we we, we don't actually encourage people to tell other people about roundtable where we find our membership growth is if you see a guy who you think suitable for roundtable, you say to him, you know what? On Friday, my friends and I are going to the rock climbing wall. Would you like to come with us? And we invite them along to an activity or some friends and I are doing a fundraiser. Would you and your wife like to come along to it? When, when, when people, yeah, that's also good. Mm, yeah. if, you're the, if, you're the, if you're the right kind of guy for roundtable, being around tablers makes you attract to them. Um, my, my dad had a had a, an old saying that birds birds of a feather flock together, and if you're that type of bird that wants to join round table, you'll come and you'll join our flock when you when you realise that there's one available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> I like, interesting. I like that. Yeah, I like that picture. Yeah. Um, funny thing uh, about me, I joined round table because. Um, well, I, I learned about Roundtable because uh, they were selling those rubber ducks for a duck race. So, uh, talking about the flocks, uh, yeah, the, bird of, <laughs> the birds <laughs> flocking together, for me personally, fits uh, exceptionally well. So, I really like yeah. the picture. Well, for, for, for me, when I joined Roundtable, um, a, a guy that I knew at the school gate, um, my friend Mark, um, he had been trying to invite me to join Roundtable for eight years. And I kept saying no because it just, thought it was weird and wasn't interested. And then after a marital breakdown and being a single father with two kids, he came up to me one day and said, Paul, you're so lonely and you're looking so sad. I'm going to insist that you come along to round table with me. And he invited me along to an Australian themed charter dinner, picked me up with my fake tan and my blonde wig on and took me into this room. And within 10 minutes, I knew that I belonged. Within 10 minutes, I knew that I'd found my tribe and my place to belong. And I've never looked back since. But yeah, 10 minutes, that's all it took. Probably not even, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Great to have you. So you said you don't encourage to sell Roundtable as a a brand or as a product. Well, but but branding is is an important aspect also of an organization or association. We don't don't sell the membership. But what we do is we still have to Mm -hmm. sell... We need, we need to make sure that people are aware of what Roundtable is. That's different to selling. And so how do you do that when it comes to branding? What, what are your uh, most important topics when it comes to, um, we have a strong brand, but how do you have the brand out there? What initiatives do you do? focus the brand is to keep it local. The, the one thing that we found over and over again in the United Kingdom is that people want to be part of a local community and they see Roundtable as the cornerstone of that community. So our branding is very local. And the fact that we're part of a national association is great for members. But when it comes to reaching the community, most people don't care. They care that our roundtable do this for our community. And that's the buy-in. That's the big focus. 
Now, we're looking to change that slightly by some national partnerships that we're having so that people can see that we are larger than they might expect. So quite a few people are surprised when they realize that Roundtable is not just in their town. So, for instance, Maryport. People, there's a lot of people that think that Maryport Roundtable is a standalone thing in and of itself. It's important for us that people realize that we're part of a bigger picture and that we're part of a bigger sphere of influence. And that's why, I guess, national marketing is probably more important. Mm. But, but our focus, but again, even on a national level, our focus and our message is local. So our national message is we bring you good things in your local community. We are facilitators. But for example, do you advertise at places or is it all at the events or, um, you know, those kind of initiatives, marketing and branding no, initiatives? No, we, we, we really don't. We advertise on a local level at the mm -hmm. events that we do. But I would I would say rather than advertising, we focus on PR and marketing. So therefore, we'll spend time explaining to people who we are and what we're about and making sure that we get good media coverage rather than putting adverts in the newspaper. We, we've done that in the past. We've, I mean, one year we spent it was like £60,000 on billboard advertising and we didn't get a single member from it. Wow. So there was no real benefit. The, the, the benefit of what we do is word of mouth um, and telling people mm -hmm. of the good things that we do. So do good things. Don't be shy. Tell people about the good things that you've done. Let people know that you're open for membership and that you're also open to help. So these are the two things that, that we need to convey across to people. It's about signposting people to, towards Roundtable. The guys that feel they would like to join and the guys that feel they need some help. Mm, I think something that uh, where I made personally a lot of uh, positive experiences whenever I travel, I wear some Roundtable shirt, polo, hoodie, I have my round table sticker. I wear a pin when I'm in business. The amount of people I have met and I was able to get to talk about round table, who maybe heard about it, who, who asked what round table is, that is, is simply amazing. You know, so if Absolutely. everybody can act as an ambassador also Absolutely. in that sense, it, you know, it, it probably makes a bigger difference than having a newspaper uh, advertisement. So you had mentioned uh, partnerships and Uh, corporations. So if you look at RTBI, um, what are the most important partnerships that you have on our corporations and with whom? Okay, so our, our biggest one this year is we've partnered up with a mental health organization called CAM. So that's the Campaign Against Living Miserably. And that organization's function is to stop young men aged 18 to 45 from commit, committing suicide. It's a very high profile campaign. So Prince William is very much involved in it and has been part of the, the media outreach. And we've got a few pop stars. Professor Green, you know him in Germany? Yeah. Not really? really. Kind of big, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. He's probably a bit too street for you. Um, <laughs> he's, he's pretty cool. Um, so he's an ambassador there. We've got a few extreme sportsmen who are ambassadors. Um, so they're a great organization, but it's focused for our demographic. And it's focused at bringing help to our demographic. And a big part of their message is that in order to have a, a healthy balance in your life, to be part of a wider network is important. So we feel that there's a natural synergy from the message that they're given for mental well-being, which is a hot topic in the UK at the minute. 
and also for us given the ability to network and to fundraise for them. Um, so we've got a, a really good partnership with them that we're looking to develop further. All right. Any other partnerships that are worth mentioning, maybe? Um, well, but there's the, the obvious ones like Lady Circle and 41 Club and Tangent. Um, it's quite easy to forget that the partnerships closest to home, the, these relationships that we have with our sister and brother organisations are also very important. An integral part of what we've been doing with our revival theme this year is asking past members to remember to speak to their sons to speak to their nephews, their sons-in-law, um, and encourage them to to introduce these young men and their family to tablers. That's yielded a great result for us um, because all of a sudden our most obvious partner has actually been weaponized um, and that's, that's yielding a lot of benefit. Absolutely. I think that is one of the um, strongest synergies that we need to have and that we yeah. need to emphasize more on because in the family as such with a uh, roundtable international lady circle international uh, 41 international tangent and also agora international we are close to 100,000 members Absolutely. so there's a lot we can um, do more together and that we yeah. should do more together so uh, that is why now we also signed a memorandum of understanding with all other Uh, family members yeah. and uh, foster the exchange amongst ourselves. Absolutely. So uh, I was wondering, a few years ago, I attended a council meeting in uh, Roundtable Britain, Ireland, and I heard about an initiative of University Club. So yeah. to try and set up clubs in universities to uh, attract members at an earlier age. And I recently heard that that concept did not work out as maybe one had wished. So yeah. what are the lessons learned in terms of best practices and do you still see a future to revive it or not? Because it might be interesting for a lot of our uh, listeners, you know, who come from different countries. I think it could uh, be, I think it could be very useful in cultures where single sex organizations are allowed on university campuses. Um, in the UK, they're banned. Um, <laughs> so we were kind of doomed to fail from the very beginning because you can't actually get any funding or any support from the university themselves if you're a single sex organization um, so that made it very difficult from the very beginning but to, to be perfectly honest with you and um, getting back to a few of the things that i've touched on earlier i believe that pretty much any idea can work if you've got the right passion and the right leadership behind it but if you've got the best idea in the world but you don't have a leader to run with it, it's never going to happen. And likewise, if you've got a mediocre idea, but you've got great leadership and enthusiasm, they can make anything work. So I really think that the focus should be on raising up young leaders and people with initiative to find opportunities where they are within their community, whether that is a university community, a small town or a city, but it's just actually building up that leadership quality and that entrepreneurial spirit to get out there and make it happen. I think it's very, that is a very good point what you just mentioned. And I think we often forget that also, what Roundtable brings to us and to our development personally, because uh, I've seen people, uh, when they joined Roundtable, they were shy, they did not speak in public, but then, you know, they came into this network of uh, Roundtable and they had to take over at some point responsibilities on a local table, you know, to experiment and see that they can actually do more 
uh, and develop a new skill set and surrounded by by people who are like-minded and who have a positive spirit and who help you. So I saw a lot of people change. And uh, it's very nice to hear those stories from people. Um, I think that's I think another uh, another flower in the flower bouquet of uh, that we Absolutely. can add to a round table. That's the personal Absolutely. development. Yeah, Stefan, I think we're coming to end of our first episode, aren't we? Yeah, um, I, I have one one more question. We, we've talked about about a lot of things, but in the end, I, I want to know from from the both of you. Um, doesn't have to be big. Doesn't have to be. Um, I'm gonna say on stage or something official, but just personally, what was your most the most important moment in your tabler's life? I'm gonna start with Ooh. Paul. Oh, great! <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I've had so many, um, but I think probably the largest for me was that moment that to you when I had my lightning bolt moment in the council meeting um, where I realized that things could change, where I realized that I had a passion to help make that change because at that moment the penny dropped and I realized that round table wasn't something I did but it's some, something that I am um, and that gave me the passion to, to, to drive my tabling to the next level. So that was a, that was a pivotal moment for me. Because all of a sudden I realized just how important Roundtable was and just what it meant to me. Thanks. And Sebastian? One of the um, proudest moments I've had in Roundtable was actually at the last year's AGM in Germany. That is when my table, Hamburg 84 St. Pauli, got awarded the Table of the Year. And that was a very, yeah, very special moment for me because it was a joint uh, effort over many, many years, you know, that people put in a lot of uh, work and community service and traveling internationally and being involved on a national level. And it's a effort of a, of a community, not an uh, individual, because we can try to be as good as we can and do as much as we want as an individual. But, you know, you're part of a, of, of a bigger group. And that to me was very... Yeah, very moving, a very moving moment, and made me very proud also of uh, of my table and my table history. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, it was really great having you. Thank you for your insights in what was and what is to be. We're really curious to find out about both of your um, years, how they unfold, and we hope you guys listening enjoyed the first podcast. And we hope you're going to tune in to number two, which is going to be um, about FTE. Which is freedom through education. Uh, freedom if, through education. Yes, awesome. uh, I, I was keeping them. I, I wanted to keep Even them. them guessing. <laughs> <laughs> kind yeah. of placing a hanger there, but thank you so much. The pastor for doesn't them. know how to tease. He just goes straight <laughs> in. Well, sorry, I'm sometimes a bit direct. I know no, that. don't worry. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you very much for having me, guys. It's been an absolute privilege, and I look forward to seeing you in person very soon. Yes. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you. Okay, Appreciate your time. It was great having you. Thank you, Stefan.